As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me tonight, like he does every Sunday, it's Nate Tice. Nate, how are you? I'm doing great. We're at the quarter pole. We're a quarter way through the season. So that weird Sunday, though. I mean, a really, really strange, odd Sunday of these games today. So they took out two of the best games of the day, with <laughs> yeah. Titans Steelers and Chiefs Patriots. We were left with a fairly underwhelming slate. I think you probably could watch paint dry and have it be as exciting as the afternoon games were. But I, I'm glad you mentioned the quarter poll because it seems like a quarter of the way into the season is a good time to kind of play the what's real, what's not game. Because usually there are things that happen four weeks into the year where it's completely misleading. It's There's no way it's going to continue. I remember a couple years ago when the Broncos were 4-0, they were not a good team. I, there are some things that can be an illusion, but there are some things that really are real. So I want to take four or five things that happened today and ask you if you're buying or selling them four weeks into this season, whether or not you think this is here to stay or whether you think that you're not quite ready to make that sort of determination quite yet. And I want to start with a conversation that's been pretty prevalent uh, on the football internet over the first month or so and something I got into today that I probably shouldn't have, and that's Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. So I want to ask you just to start this conversation. Are you buying or selling that Josh Allen's ascension in his third season has made the Bills legitimate Super Bowl contenders? No one knows how to circle a tweet like the the Bills Mafia. It's but, so uh, true. <laughs> I, I, I'm buying Josh Allen. I'm buying the Bills. I think it's real. We're four weeks in. He still has his, you know, crap roll moments where you're just like, what are you doing? And he kind of, he did it a couple times today and might have gotten a banged up a little bit today uh, because of it. But it's it's an obvious improvement. I think even the people that are hedging and hedging and you know don't want to they all these outliers that Josh Allen's kind of doing, he's doing it a lot and he's doing it against different defenses and doing it in different situations. So I'm buying. I'm buying that whole team and I'm buying Josh Allen especially. So if you look at the numbers, it's hard to argue with any of them at this point. He's been top three in dropback expected points added in three of his four games. He was number two today. The only reason he was number two is because of what Teddy Bridgewater did on scrambles. He had the best passing EPA again today. And 
all the other numbers align with that. I mean, he's, I think, 3.7% completion percentage over expectation, which is a really good measure that Next Gen Stats does of how open guys are, depth of target, things like that. So he's above what they're asking him to do, even though his completion, his expected completion percentage is 67.3, which is very high for someone with an average depth of target of eight yards, which yeah. really speaks to how open guys are. We'll get to that later. But you really, none of the numbers are misleading. Everything that he's done, even if the players are pretty good around him and the scheme is very well designed, he's playing well and he's making the most of it. So I want to get into the Josh Allen improvement conversation, and I don't want this to be too through the looking glass about what people are saying and having receipts about what you said about Josh Allen and all this other stuff, because I said some stuff about Josh Allen around the draft that I'm completely fine with having said. Josh Allen, everything we've known about how quarterbacks succeed and which quarterbacks succeed in the NFL, the evidence that was laid out plain when Josh Allen was drafted indicated that he was not likely to be a good NFL quarterback. You, you Typically, guys with low completion percentage that have accuracy issues don't tend to get better in those areas. After his rookie year, he was terrible. He had an awful rookie year. I'm not saying he was terrible. He had an awful rookie season, similar to what other guys have had. Jared Goff was really, really bad as a rookie, historically bad. That happens every once in a while. I didn't write him off after that happened. Last year, he looked better. There were tangible improvements in areas of his game. His ball placement in intermediate areas of the field was so much better last season. I went to Buffalo to ask him about it and to talk about how quarterbacks improve because so often they don't. And they don't improve in the most important areas. Even if you have some progress from a guy over the course of his career, inaccurate quarterbacks don't tend to get accurate. So I thought that there was a chance he got better with Stefan Diggs, everything else, year three. But this is even beyond what the most optimistic Josh Allen supporters probably could have thought. So I want to ask you, just as you take that entire arc into account, have you ever seen a quarterback improve this much? Go from being as inaccurate as Josh Allen has been at times of his career to where he is right now? The Obvious, obvious answer is Peyton, and everyone wants to talk about that. I'm not comparing Josh Allen to Peyton, but the improvement from year one to year two. But the thing with Peyton, he had the pedigree. Josh Allen was such a question mark coming in. Peyton yes. was kind of the no-brainer because another one that it's comes also up. also such a different era. Such I a mean, different era. Th throwing all those picks in 1998, it's almost like you're comparing two different sports. We treat it so different, and that's, but that's a great point too is that – so another one that kind of – I was once you kind of prompted this question, I started kicking around too is – Big Ben was another one. Big Ben won rookie of the year, but that was such a, a crazy thing. And statistically, it was just because he was on a great team and he, he was starting. We weren't used to quarterbacks starting as rookies. Our expectations have really yeah. changed this past decade. I mean, even if you look at the rookies of the year over the last for since time since NFL started, like QB, Big Ben was, I think, the first quarterback to win rookie of the year. And then Matt Ryan. And then we had the huge shift with Cam, Russ, RG3, Andrew Luck, these guys came in as rookies, and now we expect these guys to be plug and play. Hey, you're drafting the first round. You're coming in. You're our guy, and you're going to be good. You better be like pushing for a Pro Bowl right away. I mean, even like how we look at Burrow, who's on an awful team, we're like, oh, man, you know, if he has one bad play, it's like, oh, can he not make it? Our, our timeline has completely shifted watching these guys. That used to be for the receivers. It used to always be the, the third break. The third year was the breakout year. That's kind of how it was for quarterbacks too. It was, you came in, you're usually on an awful team. The first year we kind of lead you. You might have a couple spot starts at the end of the year when we suck again. 
year two, you might take over. And then year three, okay, you better be a bonafide quarterback. And so Josh Allen might have just gone on the, the old timeline. He had the natural year three improvement. And I think that's just what it is, is that it's one of these guys, like the one I've been around was Culpepper, and he had an outstanding first year starting. That was his second year as a pro. He regressed years three and four. And then like year five, he or 2004, uh, he had just a, a phenomenal year and took like, and just totally shifted as a quarterback. And then injuries happened and, you know, you know, kind of sad that Pep kind of fell off. But like, that's what our expectations used to be. It used to not be that a rookie steps in and looks good. I mean, it used to look like how Peyton used to look or but just- I'm not- I'm not even concerned about that. I think that you absolutely see progress. And I think yeah. that that's, your point is well taken. We, we expect so much of these guys so quickly. And I think that's a product of a lot of different things. Yeah, I'm talking about the type of bad he was at times over his first two years. It, people, their decision-making gets better. Their grasp of the offense gets better, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Very, very rarely do we see somebody who is bad at throwing a football where he <laughs> wants to throw it get better at yep. that exact skill. Even if you have issues with processing or understanding where you're supposed to go with the ball, things like that. Like Baker Mayfield last year was not very good, but he had been an accurate quarterback. Even in moments where he wasn't very good, the accuracy on throws where he had a clean pocket, all of that other stuff, that typically tends to be pretty consistent over yeah. time. And he, but Josh Allen's problems on deep balls last year and his inability to put the ball where he wanted to certain areas of the field and how different that is right now, I can't remember something where that specific of a skill had translated so much from one year to the other. And I don't know why it's happening. Yeah, but usually footwork and mental, but usually the shift is like below average to average, not below yes. average to good. Like accuracy is like hands or maybe running back vision. It's like one of those things you can slightly improve, but you don't see usually a two-tier or even three-tier improvement from a guy. I, I agree with you. It's ridiculous. It's a it's such an outlier. And and usually the improvement, like I said, is it comes from footwork and mental processing, making it easier on him. He's studying more, gets it a little more. But again, that's usually only because the guy had a baseline of being pretty accurate before, and then he just becomes more consistently accurate. He wasn't consistently accurate. <laughs> Some of the balls he's delivering, the footwork is not good. No, it's I mean, not. He's throwing balls off balance and just, I mean, and I'm not, it's not a criticism at all. It's impressive that he's, he's delivering work. balls. Exactly. Yeah. And he, had a check, kinda, he had a check down. It was so minor. And it, it, I got to find it on film because it was just, I think it was only like a three or four yard gain. He had a rush in his face. And rather than to start scrambling around, he threw a little ball sidearm to the running back who was covered. It was a really nice throw. And it was only like a four yard gain. But I was like, that was actually an incredible throw. He was totally squared to the line of scrimmage, threw it sidearm to his right. And he just checked it down to the running back. And I got to find this play because it was one of these things where it was like, that's really good. Even though it was such a minor play, those are the improvements that the consistency is not just, um, like you said, the deep balls. It's those little minor throws that he's improving on too. His first completion to Diggs today, I, I made a note of it because the ball was right on and his feet weren't set. It was just a casual little wrist flip. And I was like, yep. man, it's, you'd think, because that's, I'm watching this stuff. It's like, man, is he, is his, are his feet more set? You know, does he feel more comfortable? Things like that. And it's so hard to pinpoint why this change has happened. And I think it's because it's happened in so many different ways. Yeah. What you've said, I think, is, is very, very astute in the sense that, it's not all mechanical because sometimes when guys are processing quicker, they're not overstepping. They're playing a little bit more within themselves. There's a confidence in the way that the directions are going with yes. the ball. That, and I think that part of it and the throws being given to him and how confident he is in those throws is important. There is a mental side of this beyond the actual throwing mechanics. But that's the thing is I watch it. And it's like, oh, man, he's not 
It's not like he looks like Tom Brady back there or Drew Brees when it comes to playing the position in this textbook way. The ball is just getting where he wants it to go. And I don't want to overstate. I, I said on Twitter today, I said that you know the, what they've put around him is really important. And I'm not saying that he's playing with the 2007 Patriots supporting cast <laughs> or anything like that. It's the system and the players. Mm-hmm. I'm watching that offense today. And we're going to talk about Brian Dable a little bit more, but I think that Brian Dable has created the NFL offense that I would want somebody to run. Like, where would you say the influences are coming from everywhere? Everywhere, they, yes. They scored a touchdown on leak today to Gabriel Davis, mm-hmm. so they're running like Shanahan nonsense play action plays. Yep. They used an absurd amount of jet motion today. Yep. I mean, just constant, and they, I think they were doing it because they weren't running while doing it a lot. They was mostly throwing. Throwing and they doing would, it. And it, it, there was <laughs> to some get play to flat control. They're getting the flat controller with the jet sweep, and it's tying in. Yeah, it, it's great stuff. There's and so you, many things happening, and the play action. Action and the crossers, yep. we're going to get to it. But there's no one thing they're leaning on where it's like, oh, man, if somebody takes this away, it, the vision of the offense is so complete and so varied. It's like, again, there are so many factors have compounded that that's why you start to believe it's real because there isn't just one little blip here. So many things are contributing to this. And they know they know what they are. It's the whole organization. Like it, it, they do such a good job. They just know what they are. No matter what, they're putting their guys in a p- position to succeed. And that's good coaching. And that's just that's just it's you gotta commend them. It, it's really good stuff. Not just offensively, the whole team, the, every unit. They just they know what their strengths are, and they try to lean into them as much as possible. And it's it's cool to watch that they do it every week. If you were taking, you had a fantasy draft of wide receivers for like life, not like fantasy points, but on your team right now. And I'm talking right now. So take into account guys that are dinged up, you know, situation, all that stuff. How many guys are you taking before Stefan Diggs? Six to eight to 10, somewhere around there. He, he would be just, he'd be in that eight to 12 range for me, actually. I, I, I'm a sucker more for bigger receivers and oh see you're you you have you lack imagination i know it's just it's just what i what i better what i like i don't know i like big ball winners i mean so you got what julio did you see the play he made down the field today i know that's right after i said it i was just like oh shoot that's right he just kind of mossed the guy today that is the thing and i honestly it's so it's so telling that you said that though because that's what people always think about him. I know. It's like, ah, he's kind of slight. And he has been dinged up in his career. I I, I think that's fair. The fact I, that's always the issue with bigger, with smaller receivers. Some of these guys play big, but they get hurt a little bit more. And he has had some issues with that. But he plays so big, he can go get balls. That little sting route he ran on that sudden change turn play. Him around. He does that stuff so well. That's kind of, I've always been a huge fan. And I've always thought that he was up there with some of the most elite guys in the league. If you look at the numbers last year, everything. And the way he's playing right now, I, I don't know, man. The list is really short for me. And I, I'm not a prisoner of the moment when I'm saying that because I've thought that since the spring. That I, when they got him, he was a true number one guy. I wanted to ask you this also. Do you think bringing in a guy like he was talking from the jump today? The first time he caught a pass today, he was just talking so much shit. And he did it the entire game. Do you think having a guy like that and bringing in a guy like that matters? I think it does for a team like the Bills that has such a good foundation, like as far yes. as personalities and locker room and all that. It's like you need that little spark. You know, it's it's the 10% rule. You you don't want more than 10% of your guys like that. But you need three, four, five guys to kind of set the tone either physically, verbally, or kind of 
going to get into spiritually, but more like philosophically when we know those big moments when all of a sudden the guy, he's not scared because usually those guys, every game they're bringing it. So sometimes it might be where they're playing a, a shit team and it's great to have that guy all of a sudden maybe get hit. Well, man, we're tied up in the middle of the third quarter. We should be blowing this team out. And all of a sudden they get a ball, take it, run, get a yak for 20 yards and all of a sudden, you know, fire up everybody. Sometimes you need that guy to kind of spruce it up. And and he's he is a true ace. That's the thing is like I love John Brown, but John Brown's a super role player. Yes. John Brown is a supercharged number two receiver. Yes. That's exactly what his role should be. Speaking of John Brown, the ball placement on that throw to John Brown that was almost a touchdown was insane. Yes. It was absolutely insane. These, those are the types of throws we're talking about. But it, and it's it's fun. And those guys, oh, I know. But and that's the thing, too, is like, okay, so Diggs has that great route, too, underthrown. Oh, my God, I'm just becoming a hypocrite. He, he won, won the ball. He's a ball winner. <laughs> you know, He, those, he you, does you, everything you want a number yes. one receiver to do. You he want just a guy to, doesn't look like yeah. one. Yeah, you want a guy to turn a 50-50 ball into a 70-30 ball. The, you know, what DeAndre Hopkins does every week. You know, you that's to me and he does it. And I'm actually talking more into myself into it, but it's yeah, they didn't have that before. They had John Brown, they have Cole Beasley. These are nice nice little pieces, you know. Dawson Knox is okay too, even with his drops, but this guy can he's matchup proof. He can go in every week and he's a plus matchup or even which is huge in the NFL. It's a matchup league. And having a guy that can every week you can count on being a plus matchup, it's huge. He also changes the pecking order for the receiving core. For him to come in and knock John Brown to number two and knock Beasley down to number three, like that full force multiplier and what it does for everybody else, that also has such a huge Great thing. Great point. We've had several guys, and we'll talk about more of them on this show, that have just been so important as offseason additions. And I, I want to talk about a couple more of those as we keep I going. I actually have a question but for you. Yeah. Would you put A Rob over Diggs, or would you take Diggs over A Rob? I'd, I'd, I'd rather have Diggs. It's close. It's close. <laughs> I, I have really come to love Stefan Diggs. Okay. I, I wrote about him this spring. And again, I, I'm not, this isn't recency. No. I wrote about him this spring when the trade happened. I, because I, I talked to a couple people there about the thinking and, and why they mm-hmm. wanted to do it and what they think it would do. And I wrote about it for the ringer. And I just thought this really could unlock them. And I, a lot of people are like, oh, Josh Allen, Josh Allen jokes, whatever. So this really can do so much for them because he's that true number one guy and he's good where Allen has been bad. Now that doesn't even matter because Allen's not bad anywhere. But yep. what he has done for that offense, I'm not surprised by it. I'm just surprised about how great Josh yep. Allen has been. Not how good, how great. So let's move on to our next one here. Crazy game in Dallas in, in a bunch of different ways. Uh, we're going to talk about the Cowboys side of that a little bit later. Let's start. I want to ask you about the Brown side of it, though. Are you buying or selling that the Browns have found a recipe that can make them a playoff team in the AFC? It's funny. Going into this week, I was totally selling Browns and I kind of was really low on them, but now I actually buying them. In a sense, what I love what they're doing is they, again, they know what they are and they're leaning into it. And they leaned into it so big today. Uh, they know, but they have those nice pieces where they have, and they're IDing them. And, you know, again, that's just good. That's just good team play. That's good coaching. That's knowing what you are. And also just as an organizational sense, and we could talk about this as much as we want, but they drafted like a tackle early. I always, I think that's a good sign, you know, drafting Will's first round. It was like they drafted a premium position early. They kind of didn't go into the win now mode. We need this. We need this. We need maybe like a, flying db or something like that they were building inside out just thought that was just a nice little nod to hey this is what we're building inside out we know what we're going to be we have miles garrett on defense too and maybe we can build we're going to try and build around him i don't know i I, it's i'm buying them more and more each week i thought it was a really good performance from them today 
I think they have the best offensive line in the NFL. Well, no. <laughs> as long as the Saints trot out there, guys, no. <laughs> I legitimately think they have the best offensive line in the league right now. I that, think their interior is better than what the Saints are trotting out right now. Oof. I don't know. Uh, they're, With Ruiz they're in much, there for much the Saints. more improved. Yes, they are very. They're up there though. Like I, I agree with you that they're up there, but I would not say they're number one. So on the in, on the pass blocking side of it, I guess you the Saints probably have an edge because you don't want Conklin in like straight dropback situation. Yeah. That's a fair point. But in what they're asking them to do, yeah, I think you could absolutely could make the argument because they're not going to be dropping back thirty five times a game. It's going to be a ton of play action where you're helping your guys out, and they are road grading people. They rushed for 300 yards today, and Chubb was out for three quarters of the game. Yeah, and it's not just uh, zone. So that that's what I pigeonholed pigeon him. I was like, oh, no, but that's right. Stefanski's not a Kubiak guy. Just because they were there a year together, doesn't. I have to get that on my freaking head. And they were varied. I think I, I saw a counter or a puller play, and I got you know again, I got to watch it. They're, they're just, running a it, ton of them. Yeah, and it's nice it's really fun <laughs> it's like it's they're hitting them and it's like it's looking like clinic tape i get i mean going against cowboys d is kind of every place clinic tape but it's it's yeah, yeah it looked really really good today i am so impressed at how varied the run game is looks we've talked about it a few different times on this yeah. show what the offensive line looks like just across the board wyatt teller has been awesome for them they, he they use him as a puller all the time that guy's built like the mountain from game of thrones and he plays as strong <laughs> there was a play today where Wills literally just took his right arm and threw Demarcus Lawrence out of the way on a power play to that side. Mm-hmm. He's playing extremely well. I think with that offensive line and with the structure they've created for Baker, they could be feisty. The defense concerns me. I, I'm fine with the offense. I think they're going to be just fine on offense because Beckham is doing lots of fun stuff. He oh was God. excellent today. Excellent. He, he's he's just making plays. Yep. That's the thing is they've given themselves such a high floor with the running game. And it's let just have our guys do some stuff. They're gonna it stay in every reminds game. me a little bit of what the Niners were last year when they were at full strength. When you can just gash people on the ground, let's make some plays in the running game or in the passing game that are more based on the playmakers we have and the structure of the offense than the quarterback. Baker's not playing great, but he's playing well enough, certainly. He's playing like I'm, he's playing in a Shanahan offense. <laughs> he's playing like the quarterback is a secondary piece of what they're trying to do. Correct. And I just, I love, and I think it's going to come along even more. They're still early. They're four games into this. I, and that's, there's always a concern that you're, when you're doing, when you're living on misdirection, you're living on play action, you're living on yak stuff, that the magic is going to run out every once in a while when things get a little tighter and you get to the playoffs and all of that. But I just love the formula that they have right now. I'm not sure if it's going to work out for the entire year. I think that there are still much better teams yep. in the AFC. But I do think that they've tapped into the best version of this. And they're doing what we've asked the Browns to do for the last couple of years. They're getting the most out of the talent on the roster. And that is what's been so refreshing is to see a Browns team that's actually squeezing every drop out of the considerable talent they have offensively. It's nice to see a role player, role players ascend. Like it's, that's just what's so nice. Everyone knows stars are gonna be stars, but it's nice to see these guys that you're hoping take a leap, take these little mini leaps. And that's pretty cool. And that, like you said, that's, they're squeezing the talent that they have. But the stars weren't stars last year. I know Beckham was dinged up, but just even watching, like, let's just flip it to him. Let's flip it to him on high leverage plays. Just get the ball in his hands and let him do, do stuff. I really like the approach that they've taken and we'll see how it evolves and we'll see if teams catch up as the year goes on because they're really leaning on a couple different things in terms of just trying to grind people to dust and you know that's not always the smartest approach but for them i definitely think it's working right now i'll be curious to see what the defense looks like when they get a little healthier 
you know, Harrison hopefully will be back. I know that, you know, Delpit's out for the season, obviously, but maybe get a little healthier on that side. You greedy Williams back. Miles Garrett's playing fantastic. So they're probably going to be healthier later in the year than they are right now. And hopefully there's a little bit of an improvement on that side. Garrett was great today. Again, though, he's been fantastic all year. He leads the NFL in pressures. He was a huge force again. So hopefully with just him being the fulcrum of that defense, they can kind of figure it out. All right, let's stick on the defensive side of the ball and get to a very ugly game from today. Are you buying or selling the Indianapolis Colts having a top three defense in the NFL? I'm buying. I originally wrote wrote selling, and then I'm I'm flipping it to buying. I think – I don't think they're going to be number one, but I think they're going to be that three. And, you know, that's more like that's what they were kind of are that right outside the top, top number one or number two. But they, I mean, Buckner's been phenomenal. And, you know, watching them, they are very bend, but not don't break defense. You know, it's a lot of quarters, a lot of too high. They barely pressure. They, so that's where Buckner is so valuable is because they're only bringing four every snap. So when you have a guy that's a plus, uh, you know, I'm mean, going to keep talking about plus matchups, but he he is an advantage every week. That's huge. I mean, they're running cover two on first and ten. You know, so they're really making. Why is that? Why is that strange? Well, explain why that's weird. So why the, so much why? more more and more the modern NFL is more single high defenses with cover three that became in building a five man front uh, somehow some way whether you're a three four or four three. And now just actually going a traditional 4-3 kind of stack with guys off the ball. Four down, I should more say, because they're more in nickel. And then running a two high, which usually teams started doing was just try and pound the rock against cover two on first 10 all the time. And all of a sudden, they're doing it and being able to win just with four guys up front. Because you need some ass kickers up front to win when you're only just doing it like with that, where you're not doing a lot of movement or you're not doing a lot of blitzing where you're, you're creating edginess. So it is kind of rare to see that where, and it's also a varied kind of defense where they're running one robber, if they're running four, cover four, they're running cover two. So rather than teams right now, kind of, and I think this is just actually more than just football in, in general, you kind of lean into your one or two coverages. So seeing this variedness is kind of interesting as well. Even if it's more basic quote unquote defenses, they're doing it really, really well. And that's that's why that cover two on first and 10 really speaks to it because they are going, hey, we know you can run us, run against this, but we're going to run it and we're going to still beat you with it. And you're not going to gain a yard. Like you can you can try and run on us, but Buckner's going to beat, beat, beat the crap out of the guy across from him and you're only going to get two yards on it. And that's really frustrating for offensive coordinators. They're like, oh, it's such a light box. And then all of a sudden you're only gaining three yards on the, on the run. It is so strange to watch them because you don't notice uh, in during a regular NFL game how many bodies are around the line of scrimmage yeah. until you watch the Colts and you just realize how few are yeah. around the line of scrimmage. It's so crazy. I went back and watched every single Bears offensive snap this afternoon after that game. And it's crazy. Yeah. How just how few bodies are, the are four, around, three the, stack are, around the ball. You don't see it anymore. They're you, sitting there. It looks like the freaking 2005 Chicago Bears. I was just going to say it, you it, should feel at home watching it. Like it, it's that's so really strange what it looks like. to watch that in the modern NFL. And it really and I want to ask you this as an extension of kind of this point. Buckner allows it to happen. Yeah. Because when he's pushing the pocket and he's creating disruption so often. It, you don't have to blitz. This is a team coming into this game that's getting pressure on a third of dropbacks, the third highest rate in the league, 33.3%. They were blitzing at the second lowest rate in the league. <laughs> that's nearly impossible. 
And he is a huge part of that. And I've been I've watched them a little bit here and there, and I've gone back to watch it all 22. But watching the whole game today, you just see what his presence really means. And I think that because they can come with those four, that they can be so varied on the back end because they're they don't they have all those bodies. And watching just how slow Nick Foles was today, I didn't see the coverages because you can't see it on the TV tape, but you can just see how indecisive he was. And yep. in those first things, it's like, oh, I expect this to be open against this look. It was never there. Yep. And beyond just how the clearly schematically they're putting guys in the right places, that defense plays so fast. Everybody is flying around. I mean, yeah, Kenny Moore, their corners tackle, which is so important when you're playing that sort of those sort of zone defenses. Yeah. They come up, they play downhill. Because they're the Julian first Blackman, defender. Yeah. Yes. It, Julian back Julian Blackman made two monster hits today over the middle of the field that jarred balls loose. They legitimately think he's going to be one of the best defensive backs in the NFL. They, that's how excited they are about him. And when you watch him play, you can see it. That guy already, as a rookie, is just playing on fire. And that's how their entire defense plays. They've got guys at every level that are going to play like that. And if Buckner can continue to play the way that he does and really be the anchor of what they're trying to do, they're going to be really good. If you were stacking up the acquisitions that were made this offseason for high-level like high draft picks, so Buckner, Diggs, Hopkins, I guess those are the big ones, right? Yeah, Um <laughs> Even if you wanted to like throw some big free agent, uh, non-quarterback free agent signings, do you think that Buckner has been the most valuable addition that a team made this offseason? Oh, yeah. It's not a quarterback. I think oh, so, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Inside out. Always, always premium inside out. That's how I'm always going to think, you know, quarterback, offensive line, defensive line, and then outwards uh, horizontally, you know. So, yeah. I mean, it's it made so much sense. And, again, I mean, we can praise Chris Ballard as, I mean, every show. It's, but just knowing what he, like what they are at this point in time. Okay. We've got Philip Rivers now trading for, well, getting Rivers afterwards, but then getting Buckner and it's like, you know, their timeline, they kind of knew what, okay, so I can, we can get a better player with that draft pick uh, than we probably could have drafted and take a chance. And maybe we missed on it and okay, that really, that's not ideal for the little timeline that we're on. We got, we're getting Philip Rivers. Okay. We kind of kind of shifts your gears a little bit so i think getting a guy like buckner was just smart i mean i he's a great player and for what they want to do it matters because he plays a run and the pass too and we even talked about darius leonard like i mean <laughs> he's playing he didn't even play for a good chunk of this I game know, and they were still just dominating I and mean, that's what lets them do their that defense kind of stuff is too. really good I, yeah. I think we talk about well-coached defenses you can yes. just tell the way their guys are playing how fast they're playing just they're always in the right spot it feels like that is a team that is just on the same page and, and it comes shines through in pretty much everything they do. I would argue that DeForest Buckner has been the most valuable defensive player in the NFL to this point in the season. I have yeah. no qualms saying that. All right, last one here. The Cardinals offense had another rough day today. It has been two rough games in a row if you think about what they did last week against Detroit. Are you buying or selling the Arizona Cardinals offense right now? I'm selling their offense, buying Kyler still, but I am selling the Cardinals offense. All right, offense. so, okay, how do you make that distinction? So we did touch on it a little bit uh, a couple of weeks ago, and we're saying, hey, sometimes their offense comes down to, hey, Kyler, go do something, and that catches up to you. I think Kyler is a guy, just because he's such a unique skill set, I think you he's going to kind of make it work because he can throw those over outs, those deep balls that are so prevalent, and he can throw a quick game. He can throw all three level throws, and that's not even talking about how fast he is and incredible and dynamic he is with the ball. But with this offense, I just think it's just so static right now. 
it's not generating these explosive plays that they need because they, I mean, they're trying to run the ball a bunch and they actually do some creative things. And that's the thing with their offense. It's you see these fun run plays and a couple of little cool little gadget plays or a couple of little cool pass plays, but it's six, seven times a game as opposed to 30 to 40 times a game. And that's a little scary. I mean, it's, it's it happened last year and it's still happening through four weeks now. Yeah, I'm, I'm still selling it. I thought they would adjust maybe a little bit, and they they really haven't adjusted how I wanted to see them adjust. They play so horizontal. Yeah. So his air yards per attempt actually isn't too bad. It's about middle of the road because they have thrown some deep shots. It's just their inability to connect on those deep shots. His yards per completion is the lowest in the NFL. It's 9.28. You look at the numbers today, it was even more drastic. It's 5.54 air yards per completion today, which was the lowest mark in the league. That's horrific they had four completions today that went for negative yardage four in an nfl game that's hard to do i I don't even know how that happens in a game and then you go back and you watch it so many screens they try to take advantage of the uh, uh, with numbers on the outside there was a check to one that had just gained nothing from hopkins today when he sees that i assume he has the freedom to check into something to try to take advantage of it and they're just playing so horizontal as a result of trying to do that it feels like teams are almost baiting them into playing mm-hmm. that way because they're just they have nothing down the field do you feel like the structure of the offense lends to that where they're just playing so much more horizontally than just having natural kind of down the field looks as part of the rhythm of what they're trying to do you know funny they run all these screens and usually what the air raid did with the screen game was to replace the run game it was a way to throw yeah. the ball and attack horizontally and replace the run game they have a good run game they actually do some fun stuff so it's kind of like you're biting too much from the same apple a little bit you know i don't know if that's even a saying but it's <laughs> um, it works but, i get where you're going okay but it's i don't I, you know and with this air raid they're like what i'm not seeing is catch and run stuff it's they're running snag and then they hit the little everything's so stationary and they're not generating yeah. the natural yak um, that they want to. If you want to attack horizontally, you're trying to create catch and run situations. And in college, that's a little easier. The tackling's worse. And then you also have the college hashes where the, the field is just so much more spread out. You can attack horizontally and then the, they, it becomes vertical because how much space these guys have. In the pros, it's you're basically in the middle of the field the whole time you're with the left and right hash. And these guys, even though we won't say, oh, that team's a bad tackling team, blah, 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 they're still NFL tacklers. Like they, they're going to get the job done over time. It's the best tackle for, tackler from every college team is now on yeah. the NFL team. Every single one. Yeah. And yeah. also with their, their lack of vertical attack, they're throwing, like you said, the air raid's not crazy because, or not as low as you would think because of the go balls. But that's the thing. They're just throwing go balls. And go balls are considered 50-50 throws. And really, in real life, they're more like 30-70, you know, 25-75, even with Kyler throwing them. Defenses want you to try and keep doing that because they're like, okay, most of the time that's just a, a throwaway. So what they, I, I just see the lack of attacking vertically in the structure of the offense. Every time they attack deep, it seems predetermined. Like, okay, it's there was time, a wheel uh, to Andy Isabella today that they threw that clearly was like exactly the shot they were trying to take out yep. of that look. And that teams always stuff. have that. Don't get me wrong, but I'm saying they just need more the consistently like in the flow of the progression that one of them's an alert to the post or something like that. It seems like you know like an, uh, writing a, a movie script where it's like every ten pages you need you need an action scene. That's kind of what they're doing with these shots. Like it's like oh uh, it's been a while. Okay, let's do it right now rather than being like wow that's that works. Let's just dial up three in a row. Or something and also the o-line is kind of lacking when they're trying to do all these heavy play action they're getting really leaky 
And so that's not helping it matters as well, but they have to figure it out. You have to figure out how you're going to attack vertically. You all teams do it, whether it's movement, whether it's sweeping motions or jet motions, I'm sorry, whether it's just a heavy play action and the motion of that, you know, they figure it out. So they, you know, they're going to have to figure out how to attack vertically without maybe just having that predetermined go through. Kyler averaged 4.3 yards per attempt today. DeAndre <laughs> Hopkins averaged 5.9 yards per catch. <laughs> That's just not going to get it done, Good especially against numbers. a defense, a defense that generally is considered one of the worst defenses in the league when it yeah. comes, to, comes to talent. So uh, it's it's concerning, and I think that we saw this a couple weeks ago. Where it's like, ah, oh, they're exciting, but is this something where you can really string it together in a legitimate way? And I wasn't sure. And the last couple games have definitely given me pause. So we'll see what they can do. It's early in the year, but right now I am concerned just about the approach that they're taking. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, let's get into this. Week four, who won the week for you? Tom Brady. Thomas <laughs> Tom Brady. All right, I'm okay with this. I, I think I agree. So this yeah. is going to be a very Tom-centric segment here. Let's do it. I mean, we, the whole offseason was about it, so might as well just keep it going. Uh, you know, it was really good more than anything to see this week was him attacking, as we just talked about Kyler, him attacking vertically and seeing some yeah. – you know, he, he, he launched the balls today and it was kind of fun. Is the arm strength there? It's okay. But he, he went for it and he's trusting Mike Evans, which is awesome to see because they're going to get Godwin pretty soon too. So that's going to be exciting. Uh, but he's trusting Evans with this stuff. Now he, Evans is becoming his new Gronk, even with Gronk on the team. Like he, he's trusting him with these, these throws now, even when the guy is quote unquote, not open. And yeah, I mean, the fact that he's doing that, he's taking a couple of whacks but he's getting right back up from him. He took a real bad one low on a blitz where the running back and right tackle kind of messed up a little bit. Who screwed that up? Did you? I I, I I was trying to figure out who was supposed to take that because McCoy was in the game. I was wondering if that was his last play, but he was in the game a little bit later than that because I, my first thought was he screwed that up and that that was actually the miscommunication, but I couldn't really tell. The thing is once, especially for a line, it's like, once you're committed to a guy, just go with it. Like, you know, kind of like yep. if you're going to make a mistake, make a mistake fast. Cause it's, I always give the running back a time to adjust. What he tried to do was he tried to block both. And yeah, so I, I would guess it's probably the right tackle, but you know, you never know. It might've been just a running back reacting late to it, but yeah, but he took a whack on that play anyways. And he got right back up and he's still attacking more. And cause he's going to be taking a lot of those this seasons, this season playing in a Bruce Arians offense. I loved it today. I mean, he, they were bad in the first half. It was 15 to 29 for 106, including the pick six that I want to ask you about. But 15 of 17 for 260 in the second half. That's pretty rude. Yeah, I, I mean, he had abs- it was absolutely crazy in the second half and delivering some really nice throws. I mean, the one to Scotty Miller down the field was beautiful. The touchdown beautiful. to O.J. Howard was beautiful. I'm a little bummed out about the skill position talent because coming into the season, we were like, oh, man, think about Brady with Evans and... 
Chris Godwin and OJ Howard. And at some point in this game, he was throwing to Scotty Miller and Justin Watson when Mike <laughs> Evans was, and I trust me, I'm the biggest Scotty Miller better proponent in the world here as someone who he went to my high school. I love Scotty Miller, <laughs> but that's not what we thought we were getting into here with the bucks and Tom Brady. Godwin's out for a while. Evans clearly dinged up today, even though just fighting through it, making oh monster catches literally, to win the game. Literally fighting through it because he gets in a fight every freaking week now. <laughs> I Again, I like having a guy like that. That's the Lord of the Dicks conversation. And then Howard ruptures his Achilles. And I know O.J. Howard's not this huge part of the offense, but that touchdown that they scored is exactly the type of play you want O.J. Howard for. He's yep. got that. He can burn you up the seam. He's an explosive play waiting to happen. It's a nice piece even if he's not going to be this target monster in an Arians offense. So I'm excited for Godwin to get back. I hope that Evans can get right because I think tonight was just a reminder that Tom Brady is still really good at playing quarterback. The pick six that he threw, did you understand what was going on there from a, a decision perspective and a, from a route combination perspective? Felt like num- the inside, the slot guy was sitting down in the seam. He ran like a little stop and then there was a deep out on the other side mm-hmm. of it and Brady just threw it right to the corner. Yeah. What do you think was going through his head when he threw that ball? So yeah, Arians loves that where he'll run kind of a yeah, it looks more like a stop but a slot. It's more like a it's an out stop, I guess is the best way to call it. And you know, in a slot out route. So it looked a little tight there, and that's where you get into when all of a sudden it's the backups in there. They're not going to have at that polish that these guys, the ones, got so many reps running these plays, even if they practice it during the week. And it's such a timing route, that throw. That's a tough-ass throw, those 12 to 14-yard out routes, because you cannot be late, especially Brady now with his arm. Yo, he's match shopping it on those throws yeah, this year. It's you have, not good. Th- yeah, and the thing is with that, it's almost one of those where, all right, we've had a couple of these, and you're going to – Arians is fine. He, he's going to be chucking it. But it's – it's. I actually thought he was in rhythm there, and I actually thought the ball placement wasn't that bad, and he was on time. So that's the thing is I think no matter who threw that ball, it was getting picked off because the corner was just squatting on it. And so really I think the, the tight – splits by the two receivers is telling and also the guy that ran the route was it scotty miller or was uh no it was uh 17 i think it was was 17 right okay yeah yeah and he kind of airplaned his arms right when he was breaking so he gave a huge tell to the corner so like right as he was about to lower himself to break on his because you want to make all these routes look the same as you know the route running king it's you know so like as he was breaking on it he airplaned his arms and I think the corner was just like, oh, okay. And started just, he just ran just on it. it yeah, broke on yeah, it. It was, I think it was easy pickings. It was. And I think no matter who, no matter who threw that, it was going to get picked. It was just one of those plays. But, you know, it, it's those are dangerous routes. It, it's a tough route to throw. If it hadn't happened in week one, I probably wouldn't be noticing it. But the fact that it's happened twice already and they're walking yeah. touchdowns is just something that jumps out. The other throw I wanted to talk about just really quickly, the Keyshawn Vaughn touchdown down near the goal line that he threw. This is a small thing with Brady. Have you ever seen a quarterback that so consistently leads his running backs down near the goal line? He is so good at putting that throw on the outside shoulder and just walking them to the pylon. It's a really small thing, but I just, am I overstating that or is he really good at that? Because I notice it all the time. And not only how where he's aiming, no, it's it's a great point. How he aims it, but he always misses low on those too. Like he throws them down and away sometimes too, which which I've noticed is that. Sometimes it's because he, if it does drop or misses, he's not going to get the stupid ass tip balls that go the other way. Yeah. And I think that's just little subtleties that these really good quarterbacks that are the one percent of the one percent of the one percent, like just geniuses in a way. Like that's how he misses. Like you know. So I think I, I, I'm completely agreeing with you. He throws those short routes, especially for a tall guy. Like even Wentz, I think had one tonight where he threw an angle route in the tall guys because you have to throw it over the line and you're aiming down. 
the ball just digs into the ground. It's so funny that you say that because Brady has that really downward yep. motion with the way that he throws, and it's yep. so clear on those balls. I've always just been so impressed about how he just puts it right there to your outstretched hands and you walk onto the pylon. He leads yep. you to the pylon on those plays. I mean, you think a million Rex Burkhead and James White touchdowns <laughs> where he does exactly that. It's just a small little thing, but he does the small little thing so well. All right, so from now on, we're going to be doing something a little bit different with what just happened. Rather than me asking it, we're going to have a, a bit more of an authority ask it. So... Uh, why, why don't we kick it to, you know, the guy here? What the hell's going on out here? I, rather than me awkwardly asking it every week, Nate, I think that <laughs> Vince Lombardi doing it is just a better way to introduce the segment. So we're going to try to answer Vince, Vince's question here. What the hell is going on out here? What the hell is going on out here with the Cowboys defense? So Dallas gave up. I mean, w- let's list off the stats here today. Uh, the 300 yards rushing and they gave up more than 38 points for the fourth time this year. It's the worst start by the Cowboys in franchise history in every single defensive metric. Essentially, you can imagine when it comes to normal counting stats. Is there anything about what they've done? over the first four games that jumps out to you as a shortcoming of this defense? Is there one thing you can pinpoint or is it just an organizational failure? <laughs> well, the injuries doesn't help, but I, tackling has been not very good, as we saw today with 300-plus yards rushing. I mean, just as a team, though, like guys that you're expecting like be making these plays that should be pretty obvious or, or pretty easy. I'm saying that from my, my chair right now, but it's like just like, yeah, and it looks like guys are lost sometimes too. You see a lot of kind of like the glances at each other where it's like, but also that might be into a personnel where you're playing backups now, but it's not good when you kind of keep seeing that after every big play where guys look at each other like, was that you or is that me? <laughs> I mean, last week I was actually a little higher on it because on their defense because I thought they were great and again, great pass rush. Like Alden Smith played pretty well last week. And so I was like, uh, Alden Smith. So I was like, oh, cool. Okay, maybe they're, they're growing a little bit, but yeah. Oh my God, huge step back this week. Literally lack of tackling, lack of angles. I mean, the Odell runs were just embarrassing when you embarrassing. look at the dots from just up up top. Obviously, we don't have the ultimate two yet, but when you just look at some of the angles, just they were all over the place. I, I want to throw out some of these numbers just because if you're looking for reasons to be optimistic, I think you can be. So coming into this game, despite all the points they had given up, they were 17th in defensive DVOA. And you might ask, how does a team that's giving up almost 40 points a game rank in the middle of the league by defense? And the reason is this. The Cowboys offense is playing at the fastest pace in the NFL by a lot. So if you look at it, they're running a play every 19.88 seconds coming into this week. That's the number one mark in the league. It's almost a four-second gap between them and Atlanta at number two. There's as big a gap between them and the Falcons from one and two as there is from two to 17 when you look at the actual rankings of the teams. It's nuts how fast they're playing on offense. Their turnover rate on offense is one of the highest in the NFL. They're 28th in turnovers per drive coming into this game. You saw it again today, that Zeke fumble, giving a ton of teams the ball at midfield. They came in, their defense, with the third worst starting field position in the NFL. So the numbers are horrendous. But if you dig a little bit deeper, I think some of it is the problem of circumstance. So if you're the Dallas offense, and if you're Mike McCarthy right now, First of all, it's clearly not working with Mike Nolan. You have to make some tweaks to the approach that you're taking. I want to go back and watch the All-22 and see what they're doing in some ways before I make any definitive kind of statements on that and what's going wrong. But clearly what they're doing is not working. On offense, if you're the offensive staff and Mike McCarthy, is there anything you can do structurally and just in terms of approach and philosophy 
to protect your defense a little bit more? Or do you think trying to go tempo, trying to score as many points as possible is the only way that you have a chance? Yeah, it's interesting you say that. I mean, that's I think that's what they were even trying to do when Zeke fumbled. Like, because uh, I just recall, like, you know, maybe they were trying to pound the rock right there too to kind of slow the game down. Maybe okay, let's you know, let's control the tempo again and get it. And then the fumble happens, and then that just goes way out the window. I don't know. I'm always a huge, huge believer in leaning into it. And the Cowboys are basically a Big 12 team right now. You know, it's like matriculated upwards where it went from Texas high school offenses to Texas colleges to now to the Cowboys, it looks like. Um, But it's just, I think they just lean into it and go with the tempo. I don't know. I'm an offensive guy, so that's maybe not fair. I tend to agree with you. I think if they don't stop turning the ball over, then this isn't even a conversation. Correct. So that's the problem to me is that they're giving teams the ball at midfield asking a bad defense to have to defend short fields and every lost possession for this team right now is a huge deal because of how poorly their defense is playing so if they can just work i mean and it's not Dak making terrible decisions he's done a couple picks this year but they're putting the ball on the ground and not getting it back that's been the biggest thing is every time this team loses a fumble it almost feels like the game is over Barnwell had the stat, right? It was six fumbles. They or they've had seven fumbles and they lost six of them. And yeah. not only that, they're losing them on their own. Like uh, the uh, where the drive started is a huge telling stat is that they are doing it on their own side of the fifty. So it's not like they're driving and they're having some long drive, six minute drive, fifty yards, and they fumble at the twelve yard line. It's like no, they're doing it. They're they're the minus thirty. Where all of a sudden it's like the other team is already in field goal range right then and there, and they're doing it so early in the drive. It's just the double whammy. Because the defense probably just gave up a long drive, and then boom, all of a sudden you're fumbling it two plays in, and they have to come right back on the field. And the Browns' offense is an offense that that was probably exhausting to go against for yeah. if you have to be on the field for that many plays. I mean, that's just taking a lot. I mean, that takes a lot out of a defense, and that's where the positives of having a good run game come in. That's a discussion for another time. But it's yeah, I mean, it was just a it's just a recipe for disaster as soon as they. They can't do it. Like, they just can't. As we talked about before with the Saints, how they have to be perfect on offense as well. Cowboys kind of have to do the same thing, and they're going to be an aggressive, explosive offense that's playing fast. It's it's just going to be turned up to 11 always. Do you think it's silly that I just am not – I'm still not worried about them? I mean, they're when you think the about the NFC East and how well they're and how well their offense can play in stretches, I'm not worried yet. I know that yeah. sounds crazy, but it just – they're one and three. They're not playing. Their defense is a disaster in a lot of ways. But just thinking about the outline of that division and how well their offense is playing in spurts, like, yep. I don't know. I, mean, I think they'll probably be okay. This is a weird observation. It feels like Dak throws a beautiful second level ball. Yeah. He throws everything really is that, nice. It's just like some of those throws he makes on like some deep, like deep outs or yeah. just balls over the linebackers in, in between the safeties. I noticed that a couple times there. Yep. I was like, man, that ball just looks really good coming out of his hand. I don't know if that's just me seeing things that aren't there, but that's just something that jumped out to me today. I just love watching him play and want better for him at this I know. point. I think I know he throw. I know he's kind of going down the Matt Ryan timeline right now, but it, it's he where he's just always gonna have to carry the defense. But he, I mean, he throws every ball just like he can throw short throws, all three levels. Like he can run. He's like the perfect twenty. 20 quarterback to me i mean he's great with protections he's outstanding with that and yet but the intermediate throws too 
it's not just like those he throws the timing routes really well too like i mean because they still run stop routes more than most other teams that thing's coming out on time and he's putting them on the money it's he, he can make every throw it's awesome and cd lamb's a great synergy with him just all those routes that were probably the ones that used to go to witten now they're going to cd instead of a 12 yard gain those are becoming 24 yard gains so I just, it, that i oh, want them so much to fun. be i want them to be better I, there's so right. much fun happening on that offense i just so i really want that team to be better it's frustrating me all right let's get to a team that does not deserve to be better and that is the detroit lions <laughs> so the lions one prediction the lead, correct, correct. I'm, I'm not concerned about the Lions <laughs> blowing leads like that. That part's funny, but I want to get into something that you tweeted about that I, I just think is worth exploring. The Lions defense, I, I need you to walk me through the philosophy behind the Lions defense. So the Lions play man more than most other teams in the NFL. I think it was a top three rate last year. Uh, the numbers, I don't have them for this season yet because that sort of charting hasn't happened in a lot of places. But when you look at it anecdotally, it seems like they're playing a ton of man. They came in with the lowest pressure rate in the NFL. 13.8% of their dropbacks, they got pressure on. They pressured Breeze five times on 25 dropbacks today. So status quo. What are the benefits of being a man-heavy team that can't create pressure with its front and doesn't blitz? Why, why are you steadfast in this approach? What are the benefits of playing like this if it's clearly not working? It's just because they're just stuck in their ways. I mean, just like who they signed. They just want to be the Patriots so bad. And the thing is, with the Patriots philosophy too. So, but too, even beyond yeah. that, beyond no, no, that but, why does it work? Why do? Why would you okay. want to be this? Okay, so why would the philosophy of it is, okay, man, they're going to double whoever your best player is, your number one weapon, and then they're going to push the pocket and make it uncomfortable on the quarterback and force mistakes. That is like the overall philosophy. So they don't draft to the bendy guys or, or sign them. They go for these big, more plugger types that can just push, 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 make the pocket uncomfortable and do it with only three or four guys. But the thing is, when you're not getting that pressure and you're running man coverage every single snap and against a quarterback that knows you're doing that and knows exactly where to go and a play caller that knows exactly how to beat man, it, it turns out to a game like this. And the thing is, like you said, they're not pressuring, uh, like bringing blitzes. So that's stubbornness to me. That's purely going like, no, this is what we're going in. This was our game plan. That's a lack of adjustment. That's a lack of knowing what your personnel is, even though they recruit and draft and sign their guys to what they want. It, it's telling that they kind of just don't know really what the, <laughs> no pun intended, is, but what the secret sauce is. They are just copying, copy and pasting what they think it is, and they're not doing it. Like that is what it is. It's that's why you have to recruit bendy guys to win or athletic pass rushers. And they're more going, no, we're going to push the pocket. But the thing is, you're not going to pass rush. So you're just going to get shredded every week. If you keep doing this, I just don't understand it. Like on a purely theoretical level, teams love cover one because it, you protect the middle of the field and you yeah. force teams to throw outside. And when you're set up to run it, it can work. The Patriots do a great job of doing it because they have a deep, versatile collection of, of defensive backs and they're extremely well coached. They play with their rules for different things and you can play that sort of man coverage because you're so good at knowing exactly what you're supposed to do and how the rules work and where the ball is on the field and how it's going to change your techniques. They can do it in a varied enough way that doesn't make it feel static. The Lions can't do that. They're not creating any pressure, and they don't have the personnel to do it, but they seem completely committed to playing this way. And I, that's when you deserve to lose. And yes. that's when you deserve to say, do we need a change in the coaching staff? When you clearly 
have come to understand that the way that you're doing this isn't working, but you refuse to change. Flat and out I refuse. just, it's, it's, it's really frustrating. I, I, you watch it happen. It's like, how can you justify playing like this? At least with the Ravens, when you come out and you're blitzing a ton, you're playing man, you lose to Patrick Mahomes. It's worked in the past. There's a reason that you're like, all right, it didn't work this time, but at least we have a track record. And the Ravens adapted the last week. They got out of it. They got out of blitzing a running man. They, so that goes to show you the differences. They went, okay, we can't do that this, the, tonight, so let's change it up and try and get something different. That, that just shows the difference right then and there between Wink Martindale and whatever the Lions are doing. It's almost one of those things where you go back and when I was talking about the Lions before the season. It's like, oh, could they really be that much worse on defense? And they added some guys and everything else. They're so poorly coached on that side of the ball. And if they're going to be so poorly coached on that side of the ball, then what is Matt Patricia doing here? Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever tweet? Or no, I think Chuck McDonald, Charles McDonald had one. What Matt, would you, what would you say that you do here? <laughs> I just don't understand it. It's, I really just don't understand it. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. All right, let's move on. I want to do a new segment tonight. And we talked about this a little bit today. And I want to talk about quarterbacks with you. We're going to call this Nate's Quarterback Corner. Today, I want to talk about Justin Herbert because he had an excellent game for the most part against the Bucs. So just walk me through what you saw from Justin Herbert today. Because when I we were talking earlier today, and I was talking about how well he was playing, you walked me back a little bit. So just give me your kind of scouting report breakdown of what you've seen from Justin Herbert both today and in the limited time that he's been a starter. He's exceeded every expectation I had for him. And I'm starting to think it it has kind of the theory that some guys have with uh, with basketball sometimes where guys go from college basketball to the NBA and it's a little it's a different game. You know, it's the same sport, but how it's played is so different. And I think Herbert was kind of limited what they ran at Oregon a little bit. Like uh yeah, like the they say the offense was good, but it was really built around the run game, a little bit of play action out of pistol and nakeds getting on the move. But it wasn't like it was a great drop back game that they had. And actually it kind of limited what you could see with all you could see was these three man routes or, you know, designed shot plays. And they had a great screen game. I will give them credit for that. So what has been phenomenal to see, too, out of him is consistent accuracy, which is what I my biggest blemish with was him is and still was and still is. But it's he's not having the bad misses that I thought he would have in the NFL. And I think it's because he's confident what he is and with the throws that he has to make, and he gets to make more of them. So when he only has to throw a ball 20 times in college, it stood out a little more. And I actually think too, what's so phenomenal about him, his skill set of being a big athletic guy with a big arm that could throw a pretty nice deep ball on those third down touchdowns. When he had the pressure in his face, especially the last one, which was gorgeous when he had, he leaned back, he got away from, he bought himself an extra half, half yard, half second. He is athletic enough to do that where he can throw off platform and also has the arm strength to do that, but also shows his aggressiveness. He It's showing that he's keeping his eyes downfield. He's not playing scared. The game is not too big for him. He is on third down taking, you know, staring down the barrel of a gun 
and launching it deep. That is awesome. Most guys, especially rookies, when they're not really comfortable, especially with third down plays that are very designery each week, that's sometimes you don't have a lot of carryover with those situational type plays. Some teams do, or sometimes you do, but seeing that out of a rookie on a play that maybe he just learned that week or has only run a few times and making a big throw. I mean, that is, that is such good stuff against a really aggressive uh, uh, defense with Todd Bowles as a coordinator. What I do want to see out of him is, can you do it against a team? Maybe that's more like the Colts, you know, uh, uh, where it's soft, letting them matriculate down the field. Is he patient enough to do that? Is he not going to get frustrated? And is he, is he going to get too aggressive and, play right into their hands where he he keeps trying to make those throws and they're just tipping it not knocking it down he does some smart things too it's you know he didn't have the josh josh allen things where it's like oh my god you big dummy don't take a hit he he slid and took a sack on one of the plays actually was kind of proud of him i was kind of like hey that's actually pretty good like (laughs) you know actually that was good to see he didn't try to do something stupid and a situation that didn't call for it he 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 got down i was like okay all right that's that's a good sign i know it's it's taking a sack but i was like okay at least he knows i'm not gonna wait because he was about to get smoked and i was like okay that's that was pretty cool that was pretty good to see i I'm so much higher on him than I was going in. I would I wouldn't say I was low on him in the draft, but I was lower. I was, I mean, I barely even gave him a first round grade. But it's yeah, I yeah, it's really fun to watch him. He's a fun fun player. I'm comfortable saying this. He is the most functionally mobile six foot six quarterback I've ever seen in my entire life in the NFL. If you go through the list of six six guys, you will quickly see that that's probably true because it's yeah. not long. I wrote about this before the draft. 6'6 six, six and taller has not been good. The, the track record is very poor in the league. You get to 6'5 and there are guys. Cam, you know, Ben Ben Roethlisberger, guys that can move. Mm-hmm. You get to 6'6. Six, six, it's been the cutoff point historically. You know, Joe Flacco is not moving around. <laughs> it's, just, it's not how guys that big typically do it. And it's one of the weaknesses of a quarterbacks that tall is that some of those guys have, you know, Brock Osweiler was athletic. But he wasn't quick twitch. He didn't move well. He didn't move yeah. off a spot they, and get back they on. They ooze. They ooze yes. out of it. Yep. And that's watching him. There was a play in this game where I think it was Whitehead came untouched off the right side. And he just skirted a little bit. Yep. Stepped up in the pocket and hit Keenan Allen. Those functional mobility plays where he can skirt pressure in the pocket and move around functionally and get back on spots and things like that, that typically doesn't happen with a quarterback that big. That's been very impressive to me. Giving guys yep. chances. Yep. That throw to Allen down the right sideline, is it a 50-50 ball that could have gotten intercepted? Absolutely. But I want to see aggressive young quarterbacks. I the, agree. the thing to me is not getting picked off on that throw. It's not attempting balls more than three or four yards down the field like Dwayne Haskins is doing for the most part. That's more worrying to me than being too aggressive when you're young. I want to see those types of throws made. The touchdown he threw, this the, the deep one, You can't even scheme that play for most quarterbacks. It's a slow developing play. And the only reason it works, there was nothing fancy about it. Essentially, I can't remember what the receiver's name was. The guys he was throwing to in this game are hilarious. Essentially, it's a play action throw. And from the jump, the only thing that receiver is doing on that play is running as fast as he can down the field. (laughs) And typically, you can't do that because the quarterback 
with that slow developing play can't get it that far. And if you watch, he thought it was going to be underthrown, yep. and it, then it hits him in the hands. It, it, very he like double clutched the catch. Can, he was like, he was like, oh, oh, oh. Like, he was shocked <laughs> that the ball was there. Yeah. He was absolutely shocked because he was sixty yards down the field. Yep. It, I mean, that it is wasn't, a throw. It wasn't that, like a rainbow Russell Wilson one either. No, it's like it was it's a like a missile. It's like a looping liner. Like you know, it's a gap in baseball. It was like. Like it just, I mean, it was, yeah, yeah, it was, it was impressive. It's not overstating it that very few guys in the NFL can physically make that throw with that sort of play design. I mean, it, it was super impressive. So the physical stuff and how big he is in the cannon, that's all obvious, but yeah. the way he's moving around and some of the decision-making stuff, I've been very impressed with him. Another rookie I forgot to mention in the Brady section I wanted to talk about before we move on from that game, Tristan Wirfs is <laughs> awesome. Awesome. He, I, I know Bosa's not a hundred percent. He's got a triceps issue, but he was one-on-one with Bosa a lot today and had no issues. That guy is going to be really, really good. He's been fun to watch from the jump. Those rookie tackles, we talked about Wills a little bit earlier. Wirfs has been good immediately. Mekhi Becton's been good when he's been healthy. That class as a whole, super good. And Wirfs jumped out to me today. I went back and while I was watching Brady's throws, I was trying to watch him as the ball was getting snapped. And he was doing a fantastic job against Bosa. All right, before we get out of here, each week we're going to try to find, we're calling it the secret sauce. I wanted to talk to you about some of the stuff the Bills are doing. We talked about them at the top, but this is a little bit more granular. Teams running man coverage against this team are getting crushed because of some of the stuff they're doing schematically. And I want to talk about the Cole Beasley touchdown that the Bills scored today. And some of the stuff they're doing with some switch releases against man coverage where they're playing with teams' rules. So walk me through when you're doing a switch release, so you're the guy on the inside is eventually going outside, the guy on the outside is eventually going inside. You're crossing, essentially. So when you're doing that, especially in the red zone, what are you trying to accomplish and why have the Bills been so good at it? You know, it's, yeah, like you said, in the red zone, but actually overall, there's so many more match coverages in the NFL or in just football in general that's becoming more and more prevalent. And with match, and actually kind of, I had some one, I had a friend that put it in my head and it stuck with me. It's, it's blitz rules without the blitzers and match is as opposed to, I got this guy in man and as opposed to zone where it's like, I got this area match is I got this number count. So the final eligible receiver, you know, the number one, the number two, the number three, number four. And I'm, I'm making So you go very- inside outside when you're making that count. Correct. Correct. So, oh, yeah, outside so you go outside, outside, in. outside, 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 in. outside. Number yeah, one's yeah. the wide X and Z wide receivers, you know, and coming inside. So usually a tight end is number three. The running back is not usually number four. And with that, it's what the switch release is doing. It's forcing the defense to communicate or at least be on the same page very quickly. And not only just one switch release, but bunch of formations when you got, you know, three guys doing it. And also on top of that, you're seeing it more and more. The Chiefs are really the number one team that does it is these four strong, as I like to call it, four by one formations or four by one plays. And it's kind of limited how you can get to them. Um, teams are getting a lot better with motions and being more creative and creating the motions these. a huge part of it too. That's yes. kind of getting back to what we were talking about the bills earlier today, those jet motions. It's like, why are they doing that? Yep. It's to change the one, two and three immediately Correct. before the snap. So you're having teams have to process really quickly. Correct. It's all of a sudden it's going, I'm, Oh, okay. I got number two. Okay. I'm number two. Oh, oh shit. Motion. I'm number three. I'm number three. Actually, I'm number four. Oh my God. You know, it's, you know, and it, when you see the Seahawks do it really fast with their linebackers, it's, beautiful it's so cool to watch these guys pass it off and it's awesome Uh, the Patriots have historically done a great job of it too they're so good at bouncing guys between coverages 
And so when all of a sudden with these switch releases and these motions and these four by one, and that's why you're seeing plays like all go uh, halfback seam come up because you're creating four vertical routes all coming at you, really three vertical routes and then a swing um, with it. And that's why sometimes you see those plays with a lot of verticalness and and creating these switch releases and the, why the swings are becoming wide open and you know catching runs after that. It's because all the guys are, their backs are turned, they're running with it. And all of a sudden the guy just that, who's the quote unquote check down is really more a catch and run situation it becomes almost like a screen without the, without the blockers. And, you know, it's just cause all these it's offenses and really it's becoming more prevalent. Cause I think we're getting new play callers that are aware of this as opposed to just going, Hey, I'm going to run this concept that I've been running since 1996. It's going, well, we can run that play like a Hank, but what we're going to do, we're going to put a little more, little window dressing on it just to mess with the rules and cause hesitation and create that space you need in the NFL. You're very rarely going to get guys wide open unless, you know, something bad happens or the play caller is just awesome. But it's, you know, you're just trying to create that second hesitation where the guy can make a throw nice and easy as opposed to getting the ball ball batted down. And like you said, it shows what, what a good job the Bills are doing is that they they're aware of that. They are very aware of what defenses are being run in the NFL and what their rules are and what to attack them with. It's in theory, everything should be coverable, but you're making you're straining defenses at a very fast rate. And that's where you get these gashes or in touchdowns that happen. The best offensive play callers are completely in tune with defensive rules and how yes. to play with them. And when you watch the Bills right now, it, that touchdown to Beasley is a perfect example. You can see it was Joiner and I think I don't think it was Littleton. It was another linebacker covering Diggs and Beasley on that play. Diggs starts on the inside, it goes into the flat, and then Beasley comes up the seam. You can f- see Joiner's gears turning as it's happening. He's trying to figure out right, who's two, who's three, who's two, who's three. He's like talking to himself. You can see it happening in just the short circuit that goes on when Diggs goes out and then Beasley just goes untouched up the seam for a touchdown. And that's the thing. And doing it right before the snap with motion is what a lot of people are doing. Breaking the the brains of defenders right before that, making them count just in a half second. The Bills are doing a better job of that than anybody right now. And that's kind of what I'm talking about. It's beyond the personnel they've put around Josh Allen with the receivers. It's the way that the offense is functioning is giving him easy decisions, easy throws. He's doing the best with it, and he's playing fantastic. But everything is coming together for this team. And I think it's because they're in tune with the players they have and how to put them in position to succeed. And they're in tune with how defenses are trying to defend them. It, it is so fun to watch a play caller that's just hot. And it's like, all right, I know exactly what they're doing here. And I have the, the exact route combination to beat this coverage in this moment. And that's what you're seeing with the Bills right now. They're completely in a groove. And not only just like, oh, I can do it. I know exactly what I, what the weaknesses are in the coverage. They're relaying it to the players, and that's that yeah. just show. I mean, that's just it, it's 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 a fun team, and they're just they're clicking on all cylinders right now. All right, buddy. That's all we got. Another week in the books. We have a double header tomorrow night. It's almost like we should record another podcast tomorrow night. Nobody wants that. I don't think you want it either. <laughs> We got Chiefs Patriots tomorrow. We got Falcons Packers tomorrow, but that's all we got for now. Uh, Guys, as always, thank you so much for listening to the Athletic Football Show. I will be back with a very special guest on Wednesday and the rest of our Wednesday show. Until then, thank you for listening. We'll talk to you later. This was the Athletic Football Show.